Hello and welcome to Dinner Time Discipleship. It's mom here this evening for a change. Dad is taking a little break from hosting duties, but he's here. Hi, Dad. Hi. And I also have my lovely children here. I have Noah. Hi. I have Eva. Hi. And I have Leela. Hi. So we are, um, we decided we're going to start a new series and we're going to go through the book of James. And what we've done um, together as a family is we sat down and we listened um, to the book of James, the first book, uh, or I'm sorry, the first chapter in the book of James. And we all had some paper in our hand and a pen and we just took some notes on what sort of things stuck out to us. What do we want to talk about? And then we went over that list together and we picked out some common themes, some things that all of us are interested in talking about. And so we picked out a couple of verses that we want to share with y'all. Um, and we're going to just discuss it together as a family. Um, so we can kind of dig into what, what, um, James is getting at. Um, before we dig in too much to this, do you guys know much about, um, James, the actual, not, not the book of James, but the person James? No. No. Do you know anything Eva about James? Was he Jesus's brother? Yes, he was. He's Jesus's brother. Um, so obviously not his full brother because Jesus's father was God. Very good, Leela. Jesus's father was God. James's father was Joseph. 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 Were you about to say Moses? No, I don't think get Moses and Joseph mixed up. Okay. Yeah, it was it was Joseph that was uh, James's dad. They they all had the same mom. Who's their mom? Mary. Mary. Very good. Mary is the mom. So James is probably somebody who knew Jesus best out of everybody that wrote the Bible. Uh, James probably knew Jesus best of all, cause he grew up with him. He, he knew him the best. Um, so the verses that we wanted to touch on, the first one is James one, two, where it says, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. So kids, when when they say testing of your faith, when he when James says testing of your faith, what does that mean? Like what what is somebody talking about if they say testing of your faith? They're all shrugging at me. Dad, what does that mean if somebody says that you're testing your faith? I think in the book of James, it means that God is using trials, not temptations, but trials. To test your faith, to to, and I don't think it means I'm no expert, but I don't think that the word test here means let's see if he's going to screw up or let's see if she's going to mess up. I think it means to 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 strengthen it through fire, through through challenges, things like that. I think that's a good explanation. I also would say like you kids might think of testing as like, you know, question number one, choice A, B, C, or D. Question two, A, B, C, or D. It's similar to that, but not quite the same. This kind of testing is um, a testing where you're proving something, sort of more like an experiment than like a, you know, fill in the right blank or whatever. This is proving something is or isn't, sort of like scientists test something, right? Can y'all... Think of an example of something a scientist might test. Medicine. Yeah, they might test medicine to see if certain medicines work. 
Um, and through that trial or through that test, they can decide, yes, it works or no, it doesn't. In the same way, God gives us trials or tests and says, what? What do you think God is trying to figure out? I mean, he already knows, but what is he trying to teach us when we're tested? To stay faithful to him. Ah, faithfulness. Does anybody have any different answers? What might be something else God is trying to test when he puts us through a trial? Anything besides faithfulness? No. No? Obedience? Oh, yeah. Yes, obedience, I think, is a good good thing, too, that he's he's testing. Um, There can be all kinds of things that he's testing. And Eva, I think it's interesting that you're saying that he's he's looking at our faithfulness um, because there's a lot of different ways that we have faith in things that are not God. And we don't realize it until we're tested. Can y'all think of an example of something where you might have had faith in something and then God tested it and you realized, oh, my faith is in this other thing and not in God. Dad, do you have anything maybe even to share? Have to think about it. Okay. Well, while you're thinking, I have one to share. Um, So for those of you that are listening that might not know, um, I was diagnosed with multiple sclerosis about two years ago, and that was a huge test to my faith um, because I didn't realize how much faith I was putting in my body, in my body's ability to do the things that I wanted it to do or needed it to do, um, to do the things that I thought, you know, God wants me to do this. I have to have a functioning body to do those things. Um, And, you know, part of having multiple sclerosis, at at least the form that I have, is that um, the symptoms come and go, and sometimes they're really, really bad, and sometimes you can't even tell just by, you know, looking at me or watching that something is not right. But the times, you kids, you guys have seen the times when it's been really, really bad, haven't you? Mm -hmm. Yeah. What are some things that you've noticed um, when it's bad about things that I'm not able to do? What are things that you've seen? Walk. Walking. Anything else? Go outside when it's hot. I can't go outside when it's hot. Do you have anything to add, Leela? Or you, um, uh, it'll be really bad if you get sick. Yeah, getting sick would be really, really bad. It's really hard to go on long hikes. Yes. <laughs> we, we, we figured that one out, didn't we, Leela? <laughs> um, and so for me, it was learning that I had to learn a very hard way that God doesn't owe me a healthy body. God doesn't owe you guys a mom with a healthy body that can do all the things that other moms can do. And I hate that you have to learn that. It makes me very sad. But I also think that it's very good for your faith that you know that, that um, my trial has become your trial, but it's proven things in you guys, in the three of you. Um, It's helped you to learn things about God and how to depend on God. Um, it's, it's taught me that, um, like I said, God doesn't owe me a healthy body, but it also has taught me that God allowed for me to have this diagnosis. God allowed for me to have MS. Satan came to God and said, should I give her MS? And God said, yes, not because he hates me, not because he hates you guys or, or daddy, but because he said, you know what? We're going to test her faith. And her faith is going to be proven through this. Um, 
<laughs> no. <laughs> Why do you think that Satan had any role in any of this? Well, I say that because every good and perfect gift is from God. And so if it's not a good thing, if it's not a good gift, it's not from God. And I think that there's nothing that God can't redeem that is not good. I don't think it's God's desire that my body is not functioning the way it was designed to. I Then what do you make of the verse in James about going through trials? God can certainly send us, can, can certainly make you ill. I don't think everything that we perceive as being bad, every illness or sickness is done by Satan. He doesn't have that kind of... Pa- I don't think he's constantly at God's throne. Like, hey, I want, hey, God, today I want to get these people sick. Are you cool with that? And God's like, yeah. I don't think it works that way. I think God is ultimately in control. He's a gatekeeper of of anything Satan is able to do. And I don't think, I think the book of Job is an example of where Satan was permitted in that instance, in that one example to, to have power. Um, only that God permitted but I don't think that's like what's happening every day. I mean, just if something bad happens to someone, I don't think that's Satan doing it. Okay, so we can't know for certain that it was Satan, but I I would certainly say that the things that maybe man or 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 even Satan intended for evil, God has can has and can turn into good. Um, but at any rate, um, having having MS, being diagnosed with that, has taught me not just to trust in my body, but that, you know, having a healthy body is not the most important thing in the world. There are other things that are more important. Um, and, and I can do the things that God has called me to do even when my body is not entirely healthy. If God has brought this to me, then he will find a way for me to persevere through it through faith. There's nothing that can happen to me or to any of you where faith is no longer an option. Faith is always an option. Okay. Um, so going back to James where he says, you know, count it joy when you meet trials of various kinds. Um, I was talking to another mother just a couple of days ago, and she has a child with, with a um, pretty serious health complication. And she was telling me how she was angry and at first, and, you know, after several years, she was saying that, you know, she's come to a place now where she can see that God has been faithful to her through this. And she has, um, she's found new ways of trusting God and a new way of a a new relationship with God. Her relationship with God is different. So can you guys think of, um, any trials maybe that you've experienced or that somebody, you know, has experienced, where it's made you trust God in a different way, maybe even examples from the Bible of people where um, they had a trial, they had a challenge in their life, and they trusted God. Jesus. Who? Jesus. Tell, tell me about, like, elaborate. Elaborate. Explain what that means. How did Jesus have a difficult trial, and what did that do with his relationship with God? Jesus's trial was he had to go and die on the cross for us. And even though he was afraid and he didn't want to feel the pain, that was him being tested by God. And he came out glowing. He he passed that test big time. I remember he said in the garden, 
um, please let this cup pass from me if it's your will, but not my will, but your will be done. I think that was a really important lesson that he taught there. Um, that's been really encouraging to me um, that where Jesus says, not my will, but your will be done. Because even though Jesus was facing something extraordinarily difficult, God's will is most important. I don't agree that it was a test. And I'm curious, Eva, to hear why you think that God was testing Jesus. And, and sorry, guys, we're ha having a delay between each person talking because we're traveling right now and we're, we're having technical difficulties. We're passing a microphone around <laughs> uh, across the room to different people. So bear with us. Can you repeat the question again? Question is, why do you, Eva, why do you think that God, God the Father was testing Jesus uh, on the cross? Why was it a test? I think that it wasn't only a test, but it was a test and a sacrifice at the same time. I agree that it was a sacrifice. I think that God called Jesus to, to, to die on the cross for us. I don't know if it was a test because to me, the way you're talking, the way that you were using the word test, I interpret that to mean, you know, let's let's test Jesus's faith. And I'm not sure there was ever a question in God's mind as to whether Jesus would pass that test. I don't, I don't think there was ever a question that Jesus was fully 100% committed. Um, so why do you think there was a need for God to test Jesus? If you don't have an answer, I can interject something. Would you like me to? Please help. <laughs> she said, please help. <laughs> so the test wasn't for the purpose of Jesus. It wasn't for Jesus's benefit. It was for ours. So we can learn from him? Yeah. In the same way that Jesus was tested in the wilderness for 40 days when he was tempted, it wasn't for Jesus's benefit. It was for ours. Um. So I, I absolutely believe that that uh, it was a test. Are you okay? Yeah. Okay. Um, so again, I wanted to jump a little bit ahead and talk about. Um, actually, no. Before I do that, do either of you, Noah or Leela, do either of you guys have any examples from the Bible of somebody who had a troubled relationship with God and they sh they proved their faith? Well, not Boaz, but who else? Ruth. Ruth. Who did Ruth marry? Boaz. You have to say it. Oh, say it. Yeah, say it the right way. Say. Oh, Boaz. So Leela and I did a Bible study together. I guess it was about a year ago, and we read Ruth together. And I was trying to like animate the story a little bit for her. And so every time we we mentioned the name Boaz, we would say it together. Can you say it with me? Oh, oh Boaz. Boaz. He's so romantic. So Ruth had it. The story in Ruth was that Ruth um, was having a very difficult life. And um, do you remember where Ruth was from? Moab. Moab. Very good. Ruth was from Moab. And did they like Jesus? Or, I'm sorry, not Jesus. But did they like God in Moab? The mic can't hear you shaking your head. No. No. So they left, right? And, and were they... Were they um, how was how were Ruth and Naomi like? What was their life like when they came back to Israel? I don't remember. Was it easy and good or was it hard? Hard, I think. 
Yeah, it was very hard. And Boaz ended up coming and saving the day and marrying Ruth. And, and they were both okay. So that's another one where they were faithful. Noah, can you think of any examples of anybody in the Bible or anybody that you know personally that's been through a really difficult trial? Job. Tell me about Job. Uh, he lost like his family, um, his kids and his wife died and he lost all his animals. He lost his house. He lost everything. Uh, and at one point his wife told him they should stop believing in God, but he still didn't. And that was all just a test to see if he would still be faithful even after all that. I thought she told him to go jump in a hole. <laughs> no, she said curse God and die. Oh. <laughs> Isn't that what she said? Curse God and die? Yeah, which is <laughs> basically go jump in a hole. <laughs> Um, but James, what James is saying here is to count it joy. Why, why are those terrible experiences joyful? Like why would Job count losing everything as joy? Why would Ruth count losing her husband, leaving her homeland? Why would Jesus dying on the cross? Why would me having MS, why would any of that be joyful? That sounds like a pretty awful circumstance. Because if you're still faithful, then that means you pass the test. That that may be, but I think there's a lot more to it than that. Because God can make everything good. That's that's a good point, Eva. God can make everything good. I also think, Leela, that um, we count it joy because we have a new way of trusting God. Our relationship with God is completely different now. It's um, we, we depend on God in a way that we never had to depend on Him before. And God is faithful. God is really good and really kind. And so when we go through those difficult experiences, we're learning to trust God and have a new relationship with him that's different than ever before. So I think that anybody listening can recall a trial. And if you trusted God through that trial, your relationship with God is better. It's, it's deeper and you understand God better. Um, and there's another verse I wanted to talk about. This one's probably one of my favorite verses in the whole Bible. It says, blessed is the man who remains steadfast. That means faithful under trial for when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. So what is it, Leela, that keep people get when they, when they, um, remain faithful through their trial? What does the Bible promise that they're going to have? Joy. Joy, yes, but there was something else in this verse. Do y'all remember? The crown of life. The crown of life. I think it's really cool that he uses that phrase, the crown of life. Who wears a crown? Jesus. Jesus. But in general, like when you think of somebody wearing a crown, what kind of person wears a crown? King. A king. A king or a queen, right? God is saying he's crowning us with life. So it's like a big honor to have life. It's a big honor to have life because it's life. What kind of life? Are we talking about just like until you get to be like 80, 90 years old and then you die and like, oh, that was great. I had a really good run there. No, it's like a new life in heaven. A new life in heaven. Explain some more. Keep going. What? Tell me about this new life. Like what? what, what can we expect? Um, it's a lot better than earth. Noah, what else can you say about heaven? Like, what does that new life look like? It's, uh, it's just the best thing that could possibly happen to you. Yeah. It's the best case scenario. Do you have anything to add, dad? No. Okay. Um, 
So he's saying, you know, you have to to remain steadfast. You have to stay faithful to God. Um, we have to continue trusting in God, even when there's no evidence around us. When I say no evidence, I mean, we don't see any evidence around us that what God said is true and that what he promised is going to actually happen, that we continue to be faithful. So when it feels like God has abandoned us and we abandoned us and we still stay faithful, that's what he's talking about here. It makes me think about Daniel when, you know, he's like, you know, I'm still not going to obey. He's talking to King Nebuchadnezzar and he said, I'm still not going to obey you regardless. I'm, I'm going to be faithful to my God and, you know, do what you want to me, but I'm still going to stay faithful. That's the kind of faith I'm talking about and that James is talking about here. Um, so now I want to jump down to verse 20, uh, James 1 20. It says, actually, I'm going to back up a little bit. James 1 19 says, know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger for the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. I want to talk in a minute about why those two concepts of persevering and anger, um, what they have in common and dad, you're, I'm going to need you to kind of jump in and help me a little bit here. But, um, we talk about being quick to listen, slow to speak and slow to get angry because it doesn't produce the righteousness of God. When you're angry, I want you guys to each, each of y'all to think about a time when you've been angry, you wanted righteousness. Would you agree? Yeah. Yeah. When there's something that you were angry about, you were wanting righteousness. Now think about what a time when you expressed your anger. Did it produce, say that again, yelling at someone doesn't make righteousness. Exactly. When you express your anger, it does not produce righteousness. Now there's a different kind of anger called a righteous anger. And when I think of righteous anger, I think about when Jesus went to the temple flipped over the tables because they were selling stuff. Exactly. Jesus went to the temple and he was turning over the tables because people were basically, what Jesus said, they were turning it into a den of thieves. This was supposed to be a holy place, a place of prayer. And they were cheating people and, you know, trading money. It became a, like a market. It was no different than going to the mall. And Jesus was really upset. That is a righteous anger. And it produced righteousness. But... What he was angry about was God not getting what he deserved. When we're angry, we're angry because we didn't get something that we feel like we deserved. So Leela, what's a time when you feel like you were angry because you didn't get what you deserved? Or just any time you were angry? Like sometimes when we were in the pool, uh, like whenever I tried to talk to Eva, she just went underwater. What? Okay, so you got angry because you were trying to talk to Eva, and she kept dunking her head under the water every time you tried to say something. I don't remember that. So what was it you felt like you deserved that you weren't getting? Well, not deserved, but just... Her attention? You felt like you deserved her attention, and you weren't getting it. We don't know if she was doing it on purpose or not. And knowing Eva, she probably wasn't. She's a sweet sister. But I could see why that would make you frustrated. And when you get angry at her, if you were to—I don't remember what you did, but if you got angry and yelled at her, did that make the problem go away, or did it make the problem bigger? Bigger. How? Explain. You know what I mean. 
I think so. If I'm remembering this event correctly, I think what happened is you got really mad at her. And then you, she told you. She then, told me. And then Leela got, or Eva got mad because you told on her. And then you guys sat and not, didn't talk to each other for a while. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Y'all remember that now? Y'all didn't talk to each other. You guys were in the pool playing and not talking yeah, to each other. I was in the pool, but I was in the hot tub. Yeah, I remember that. And... So did your anger produce righteousness or did it make your relationship worse for a little bit? Relationship worse. Okay. Now, that kind of anger, responding in anger when you yelled at her, didn't fix the problem. I didn't yell at her. You got angry at her. Maybe you didn't yell at her, but you were angry. I remember that now. So what's a way that we, you, you guys could have handled that in a, in a way that produced righteousness? apologizing and having a conversation. Yeah, I think that's what y'all ended up eventually doing, right? I remember talking to you and saying something about how, you know, both of you are kind of being a little prideful right now. You need to apologize. And both of you did. And then what happened after you both apologized? She splashed me in the face with water. (laughs) (laughs) And then we all laughed and it was great. (laughs) Okay. Um, So... Anger does not produce righteousness. I mean, I can think about something in particular just this morning that made me angry. And I want to I don't want to get into it right now, like what that was, because it's a very sensitive topic. But there was something that happened this morning and it made me angry and it made your dad kind of angry. And as Christians, it's hard for us to be angry in a righteous way. I think not just as Christians, for everybody, it's hard to be angry in a righteous way. Um, and can you explain, your, uh, Dad, what that means, like to be, what it, why it's hard to be angry in a righteous manner? Um, there was something I wrote down here when we were reading James that mentioned it. Uh, people are quick to anger because they don't have the righteousness of God. Um, I think if we have, hang on, before I go on, state your question again. I already forgot it. Why is it hard for Christians to, or just anybody in general to have, be angry in a righteous way? Because I think the question's actually kind of flipped. Why is it hard for people to, why, why is people's anger usually not reflective of their of a righteous mindset or righteous heart heart posture so i think people are angry for different reasons and rarely is that anger coming from a from a good place um usually it comes from a sense of entitlement a sense of i deserve this and i didn't get it that's the underlying assumption i i deserve something i deserved x i didn't get x and so i'm angry but in reality, we don't deserve anything. I think righteous anger comes from <clears throat> not not from a I didn't get what I deserved sort of mindset, but it comes from a God is not getting what he deserves mindset. Or, or like God is, the, the way the world is, is not the way God intends or God wants us to behave. And so it's a lack of righteousness, a lack of, people's obedience or love for God, I think that is what is the root of righteous anger. 
not, I didn't get my way, so I'm angry. That That is not, I don't think, righteous anger. So I think the situation becomes a little bit more difficult to to interpret, I guess, when you when people will say that their anger is righteous because they think that what they want and their preferences are what God wants. Let me say that again. People get confused between what God wants and what they want. They think that they're the same thing. And so they'll call their anger righteous anger when really this is just their own preferences, their own desires. Does that make sense, kids? Have you guys seen examples? I'm not, I, don't, I don't need y'all to give examples right now, but have you seen, seen examples of people who confuse what they want with, with what God wants and so they call it righteous anger? Yeah, you guys are giving me blank stares. Yeah. Can you think of an example of that, honey? People confusing what they want with what God wants and calling it righteous anger? Yeah, so politically, people have political positions and they think that their political position is also God's political position. I don't think God has political positions, but there's we've talked about this before, this idea of Christian nationalism where people mix their their God and their country and they're not supposed to be mixed. And a lot of people just can't understand that. They, they can't they can't fathom that. And so whenever something happens, like let's say the opposing party's political candidate gets elected to a position, they think that, oh, God doesn't want this because God only stands for my political views. And so they get angry about that. And they think it's righteous anger because God is for them and for their country and for their political candidate. None of which are true um, for any for any political party. But that's one example. Okay, so to tie that idea back into perseverance under trial, um, that's that's a little bit. Let me just dig into it. So you know, I think for for a lot of people, it's easier to feel anger and call it righteous anger, whether it is or not than to just persevere through a trial and say, you know what? I don't like the situation that I'm in. And instead of saying, well, God wanted this and I didn't get that. Notice what I said there. God wanted this and I didn't get it. Not God wanted this and God didn't get it. That people start becoming angry instead of persevering under a trial and saying, you know, maybe God's trying to teach me something here. Maybe this is a lesson for me to learn here that it's not God's desire that I'm always comfortable. It's not God's desire that I'm healthy all the time. It's not God's desire that I can walk on any given day or that I can see on any given day. Sometimes it's not. That's really, really hard to accept, isn't it, kids? Yeah, that God doesn't always need for you to have your, quote unquote, your best life. That is, we have to be so careful because that's something that the world tells us a lot. Just live your best life now. Do you understand why, as Christians, that is wrong? You should live the life that God tells you to live. And if God wants us to live the life that we, are, if, if we live the life that God wants us to live, is it going to be easy all the time? No. If it is easy all the time, What? Yay. No, something's wrong. Oh. <laughs> Sorry, Eva, I didn't mean to burst your bubble there. If your life is easy all the time, you're doing something wrong. You're not learning. You're not growing. 
That doesn't mean we need to go out and try to find trouble. But if everything's easy and your, your anger is always righteous, something's wrong. It's you. It's probably you. Because every single person that I've ever met in my entire life gets angry. And it's not always righteous anger. In fact, I would say probably 95% of the time, it's not righteous anger. I do it. Dad does it. I've seen you guys do it. We all do it. And we like to think that it's righteous anger, but it's not. So going back to like my health, I could call that, if I was being spiritually lazy, I could call that righteous anger that I don't have the health that I had five years ago. But remember, if I'm not growing, if I'm not being challenged, something's wrong. I either have to have God's righteousness or my way. And if I choose my preferences instead of God's righteousness, then who is my God really? You. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We have to be very careful about that idolatry of our own health, of our own preferences. We can't call, um, call something evil. Actually, let me rephrase it. We cannot get angry about something and call it righteous anger when it's our preferences. Because that means that we're being lazy about persevering under trials. Do you guys have anything else to add before we wrap up today? Any other comments, any other thoughts on the first chapter in James? Anything that we didn't talk about that you might want to maybe bring up? Eva's looking over her notes very carefully. Do you have anything you want to toss out? I think you had one or two really good ideas. Do you want to toss one or two out there real quick? If you lack wisdom, ask God. That's huge. Yeah, that's a really good one. Because it seems really easy, doesn't it? Like, if you lack wisdom, just ask. You don't have to go study a bajillion books. You don't have to go to college and get five degrees in wisdom. Just ask. The problem is, <laughs> not a problem, but I guess the caveat to that is, if you need wisdom, how do you get wisdom? Besides, I mean, God God will give it to you, but how? in what way does God give you wisdom? What's his best teaching tool for wisdom? The Bible. Well, yes, but I'm talking about your own personal wisdom. Jesus. It's experience. Oh, yeah. Okay. Experience is how you get wisdom. Eva's answer to everything is Jesus. <laughs> Jesus is the answer. <laughs> yes. So experience is how you get wisdom. And sometimes it's your own, sometimes it's somebody else's, but experience is where wisdom comes from. And again, that comes from persevering under trial. Um, so I would encourage you kids to memorize James 1, 2 or, and, or James 1, 12. I think those are very important verses just to remember for your entire life that, you know, just because you're under a trial doesn't mean God hates you and that God's angry at you. He loves you dearly and he's, he's challenging you. He's, you he's helping you learn and helping you grow and helping you be closer to him and depend on him in new ways that you didn't before. It's not the worst thing ever. The worst thing ever is what, kids? Do you remember? I've said this a bajillion. Say it again. Going to hell. Yeah, dying without knowing Jesus is the worst thing ever. Dying is not the worst thing. Dying without Jesus is the worst thing ever. 
So with that, we'll wrap up episode 14 of Dinnertime Discipleship. Thank you so much, family, for your wonderful input. And next time we will cover James chapter 2. Say bye, everybody. Bye. 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 Bye.